Hi, and welcome to the CAFMA Connect. I'm your host this week, uh, Cody Rose. Chief Freitag is out. He's just returning from Washington, D.C., where he was doing some legislative work for fire districts and firefighters across the state. So thank you, Chief Freitag, for that and get some sleep and get rested. This week, we're going to talk about some cancer mitigation. So I have our facilities manager here with us, Eric Crossman. And he's going to talk a little bit about what he learned at a conference that he went to a couple years back and then what's some of the things that we've done at our fire station facilities since he's returned from that. So, Eric. Hi. Hi, Eric. Thanks How are for you? having me. Thank you. How's the shoulder, by the way? It's better. It's getting he's there. recovering from shoulder surgery yes. that he had out. He yes. thought he was going to be out for a week, and we're on three weeks now, yeah, and he's weeks. limping back. Yeah, I'm getting there. No throwing balls yet. <laughs> so anyway, yes, um, the I uh, went to the conference a couple of years ago. Um, the conference was had a wide variety of stuff, but it focused on like architects. Uh, so they did a lot of presentations on, you know, where we're headed, where the stations are headed. Um, and obviously cancer mitigation is a big topic. So um, just to make this pretty quick, um, one of the couple of the main things were um, one being countertops, which were surprising, which I, fo- I, I focused on classes that I knew were rel- relevant to what we were doing. So countertops, which to my surprise, I think everybody realizes that, you know, most most of the stations are trying to go with stainless steel, which is one of the top choices. Um, but quartz was actually uh, at this conference at the time was brought up as one of the preferred choices uh, through, our, you know, the architects. So good news is we actually had already headed that direction and station 57 or 59 and station 53 both have quartz countertops currently. Um, I think we're going forward more so with stainless steel because um, it's more long-term uh, the way I look at it, the stainless steel. Quartz still has, you know, um, its faults with, you know, uh, cleaning and so forth, consistency over long-term, my opinion, and just from experience with, you know, the, you know, with the crews and the time they have available and probably, um, where you'll get one crew that'll clean a certain way and another crew may clean differently. So consistency isn't quite there yet through our departments. And so we try to accommodate that. And I think stainless steel is a little more forgiving. So going forward, we're going to focus on utilizing stainless steel. Um, With that, what's the... What's the benefit to the quartz or the stainless steel? Why do we want that over a different countertop that might really Um, look nice? Yes. So currently, obviously, which two of the stations I did just this past year was 54 and uh, 50 because they had laminate tops. Laminate tops are are porous. So what they do is when you get the contaminants or carcinogens um, are brought in through the bays or however, they're typically airborne. When they settle into a porous material, they're very difficult to get out and when the guys are doing food prep, obviously that that is there, and they, mm-hmm. they can pick up those contaminants. Stainless steel and quartz do not. They're, they're not a porous material, so that obviously is much easier to clean. Um, when you wipe them down, you know, the contaminants are removed, and, yeah. you know, where the laminate materials, they're not. They're always there. Got it. Okay. So same thing in the same sense, not just countertops um, are, for example, carpets. You know, uh, another thing we're doing is trying to remove carpets, go with the epoxy flooring, um, and same scenario. The carpets obviously hold those contaminants where the epoxy materials, it's it's not porous at all. Mm-hmm. And it, uh, you know, it's easy for them to clean, uh, wipe up quickly, whatever it be. Yeah. Um, so, and all these 
from my perspective, obviously there's there's many points to this. It starts from if they come back from a fire, there's they pull off their gear. We got uh, you know there's steps they have to do. But from our standpoint, is when is more so engines, diesel exhaust stuff like that that's coming back into the bays. Um, and one thing we're doing is uh, first step is trying to eliminate those in the bays by um, either exhaust, uh, filters or, you know, um, what we currently have is exhaust systems that are just air movement. Mm -hmm. So an improved step was, and this is another thing I picked up at the conference was, um, a lot of people want that direct connection. So that engine pulls up, guys jump out, they hook up the hose, pull the engine in every bit of that exhaust fume is being extracted. The problem is what I learned at the conference from other departments that took that approach was, um, they were finding it wasn't consistent. So guys that just get back, they're exhausted, whatever reason overlooked. And there was no consistency in them making that connection or, you know, they pull the engine and then connect it, mm -hmm. which defeated the purpose. So sometimes they were pulling it off, you know, because they had failures with them disconnecting, whatever it be. So one thing I learned was it was, um, you know, favorable to use exhaust filtration systems, charcoal, whatever it may be. So this year we're trying something new, which I learned from the conferences. Um, we have at two of our stations, um, airmation systems that pull the airflow above and they pull it in one end and blow it out the other, which is great, but you're waiting for all that to rise to that level. So the new ones that we're trying that I pulled from the conference as well, uh, this year at 63, they actually draw from the bottom which creates uh, kind of an airflow. They blow out the sides, they draw from the bottom, which will actually bring that exhaust up quicker. Um, so I'm excited to see how they fare. You know, it's uh, it's kind of a, you know, a process of testing right now. And if that goes well, I want to Im implement them in other, other locations that, yeah, yeah. you know, are just air movement is yeah. what we're counting on. So, um, and the other thing is turnouts. Uh, I think that's been... Um, you know, a, a priority as well is obviously these contaminants that are in the bays for some of the locations that don't have a turnout room currently, their, their uh, gear have been sitting out in the bays. Um, 63 is a prime example. Um, also, uh, let's see, the other one was 61. So what we did this year is uh, last year we did 61. We took an area in the bay space that they had available. We designed, you know, a little, um, you know, clean air zone for it. And we put some, uh, you know, lockers inside it. Um, and, uh, it's, you know, it's a huge improvement. Every time you go in there, you can just notice the difference walking from the bay into that yeah. room. Talk and a little bit about that air circulation, the constant air circulation. So in those rooms. the biggest thing is keeping positive airflow in these rooms. And when I say positive airflow, I use that terminology. Maybe it's not accurate, but I use it because to me, it's keeping air that flows always out. So you never want to draw into a room dirty air. So what we do is in order to keep positive airflow, we find a source 61, we were fortunate enough to have the gym next door. So we were able to blow a hole through the wall. We put a, you know, a, a low CFM fan in the corner opposite end. And we constantly are pulling uh, from that, you know, that room. We seal off the door between the bay. So it's always going to pull from the at least resistance. And that keeps that positive air, clean air going through that, through those turnouts at all times. Um, 63 is a little more challenging. We didn't have uh, acclimated temperature air on that side. Uh, everybody I've had this uh, mentioned to me multiple times. Why don't you just bring the air in from the outside? That's clean air. Why, why not just do that? It's easy. You know, get it from the roof. Everybody forgets. Yeah, that's great. 
in the summertime or, you know, springtime, fall, whatever, but wintertime when it's 20 degrees and you're drawing, let's say 200 CFM into that room of 20 degree air, they're going to walk in there and those turnouts are going to be stiff, yeah. you know, when they go to pull them on. So it's, uh, there's challenges. So we're trying something different at 63 with, uh, you know, an offsetting that temperature with a heating element of source. Uh, downfall to that is obviously you're going to have more cost involved with having to do that instead of having air that's, you know, yeah. already at temperature. Yeah. So. yeah. And then with the radiant heaters that we have versus the forced yes. air heaters that we yep. used to have. So uh, one thing that I also learned through that conference as well is you take these old forced air units, and a lot of these have been here for years because mm -hmm. back in the day they – didn't think of concerns of cancer yeah. or any of this stuff. But anyway, so now you get these contaminants laying in the bay and you got a forced air unit just blowing air down on it. Well, it stirs it all up. And it also, you know, and by having, so by eliminating that and going to a radiant heater, there's no forced air. It's just radiant heat um, that, you know, we utilize to, uh, you know, heat these bays, um, which, Helps with the contaminants, obviously, stirring them up. But in addition to that, they're a little more cost-effective because um, as minimal as it might be, it may raise our temperature of our concrete by a degree, two degree. And what that does is uh, when the guys leave the station, open the doors, you lose all that heat. But the recovery time is is that much quicker. Um, and so it's, it's cost savings as well. Plus the new heaters are all two stage heaters. So what they, what that means is basically they only work as they needed. So if it's a two degree, three degree di difference in temperature, you may only have one stage kick on very cost effective versus two. And how many stations do we have those in now? So we've already done, uh, just this past year, we already did 54, 50, 53, and 63 have okay. been completed. 59, or 58 already has them. So this upcoming year, we've got uh, one, two, three, four more stations. I'd like to do two maybe in the upcoming year and two the year after that. Okay. So essentially, in the last year and a half, we made some significant progress, I would say, as yeah. far as um, stainless steel countertops at 54 and 50, um, upgrade quartz countertops. We've done at 53 and 59. We've put in these bay heaters at 54, obviously 63 and 53, like I just said. Yeah. And then, uh, the exhaust units up at uh, 63. So yeah. pretty, pretty good progress in just a year and a half time frame, yeah. I would say, yeah, you know, I, getting there for sure. And I've, I just, as you're talking, sitting here thinking of, I started 21 years ago and when we started, it was you wore your turnouts into the bunk room. Well, the bunk room at 61 was an open bunk room, so there was eight beds in there, and you yep. all slept right next to each other and had our turnouts right by our bed, and you get a call, and you jump up, get your turnouts, and you, you leave. Well, obviously, we've learned that's not what we want to be doing because of the, the cancer elements that are in your turnouts plus what you're carrying in in the boots and all those other things. Yep. So it's definitely different from what we used to do, but that's in a good way and trying to reduce those cancer-causing agents that we carry in. Yep. Um, to the firefighters and to what we do every day, 24 hours a day in the, the station. So um, what's plans for the future? You talked a little bit about the radiant heaters. What about the – we have turnout rooms. We have some other things. I know we have some turnout rooms that currently are in a separate room, but they don't have that circulating air. They don't have, they're not up to the standards that you're trying to get to in the next few years. But what's yeah, some of your plans Yeah, I think our next future? step is taking a look at what's there because a lot of them um, – you know, they do, they have a isolated room, yeah. uh, which works. Uh, and, uh, some of them, I think there's just a couple left that they, 
exhaust fans might have been put in, but there's no source to feed those. So right currently we have, you know, we are moving airflow, but what we're doing is relying it on under the door, you know, from the quarter side or so forth. So what we're going to try and do is increase that. And also consistency. Um, A lot of the stations, and I try to address this as they come in, they turn it off because of the noise. I understand that. And I know it's a little bit of a burden at night, you know, when it's real quiet, but the purpose of it is if we, if we keep that positive airflow flowing through those, you don't have to worry about ever drawing from the bay at any time and Mm -hmm. drawing those contaminants in. So yeah, we're going to continue to work at that. Um, again, these exhausts, if they go well at 63, I'd like to implement them at a couple of the other stations. Um, currently Chino always had those aeration systems. So they Mm -hmm. were, you know, they're in place and functioning. We're going to continue to, you know, keep those going. And then down, you know, in Prescott Valley, try to add those. And again, I'm, I'm saying add because we currently have exhaust systems and there's no reason to get rid of those because to me, the more, options we have to try and keep that clean air, the better. Um, We don't fortunately have the funding like, you know, some of the Phoenix stations that actually, you know, force air into their stations with huge cooler units that, you know, can turn over air in three, four or five minutes. But, you know, we're we're dealing with what we got to work with and we're trying. And I think we've, you know, made a lot of progress to make a lot of improvements. Yeah. Like you said back in the day, what they did, just what we do now for their procedures, you know, removing gear before coming in, you know, it's all a process, all steps to, you know, to, to get there. Yeah. Yeah. And for the guys at 51, um, we're working with uh, Prescott Fire in the city of Prescott to make that swap. I know we've talked about this forever, but to make the swap from 51 to 72 and those, those stations so that 72 would be owned by the city of Prescott, 51 would be owned by CAFMA. And then we can start making some of those changes. And I think one of the first ones we do there is get their turnouts out of the bay and get their gym out of the bay so that yep. they can work in an environment where they're not in the diesel exhaust yeah. regularly. So we're working on that. It's definitely at the forefront. There's just a lot of politics that are involved in making that happen. But I can tell you that Chief Dura with the city of Prescott and the new city manager at the city of Prescott, I met her yesterday, very nice lady, that they're definitely on board with that. It's just the process to making that happen. So hopefully we can get that done in the near future. Lots more work. Yeah, yeah. And as far as cancer mitigation stuff, that's all we have for you this week. Uh, Somebody will be back next week. I think it's Chief Reitag to talk a little bit about political legislative stuff, but we'll leave that up to Kathy and her important work that she's doing over there on the computer. She doesn't want to talk to us, but thank you for watching and we'll see you next week. Mm